Well, good evening, King of Kings. Good to see you tonight. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Joel. Isn't this going to be fun? The book of Joel. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, it is good to see everybody this week and bless you. I just got back from a short trip, so thank you to Pastor uh, Vaco and Pastor Ray who brought us the word while I was gone. Thank you guys, did a wonderful job as we concluded the Perspectives series. Tonight we're going to start a brand new series called The Road Ahead. The Road Ahead, where it's going to be a study of the book of Joel, and we're going to need to go to the Lord in prayer first to make sure our heart and our mind is in the right place. Can we do that tonight? Before we go to prayer, let me do this. Let me encourage you to think of one, one thing that the Lord did for you this week. One good thing the Lord did for you this week, and we're going to praise him for it. Amen? Father, we love you today. In the name of Yeshua, we want to bask in your presence today. We want your word to come to life in our hearts. We need help tonight to dive into the word and to glean all of the richness that you intend for us tonight as we set the stage for this series, as we embark on understanding some of the prophetic words and how they impact us today, God. We thank you for the good things that you've done for us this week. Let our perspective be honoring and revering of your great name and how much you think of us. You're a good God. You're a good Father. And we say thank you for your word tonight. Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome uh, back to the congregation. Uh, welcome all of you watching online tonight as well, all around the world, King's Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, or whatever platform you happen to be watching on. Welcome back to King of Kings Community. Uh, let me also just remind everybody, come join us at our discipleship classes this Wednesday night, 6 p.m. There's a couple of classes to choose from. Uh, this week, Pastor Mike is teaching one of the classes, and I'm teaching the other one, okay? So you'll get to uh, dive right into the Word of God with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. And one of the things that drove us to look at uh, this particular book of the Bible is uh, the day, really about the days we're in. Uh, we were taking some inventory, as our executive team often does, about not only this congregation, but also the other congregations in the Kingdom of Kings family. We were noticing that there was some strength in the fivefold ministry areas, and then there's some areas that weren't as strong that we want to strengthen. I think that's our calling to do it. Of course, we've been strong by the grace of God in some roles like the apostolic roles and the pastoral roles, the teacher, sometimes even the evangelist, although I think we need a little bit uh, strengthening in our, in our impartational evangelistic giftings. But one of the areas that has been the weakest that we want to continue to work on and strengthen is that of the prophetic word. You see, it's one of the, the five-fold level giftings of God that is really a governmental level gifting that has the ability to not only give prophetic words, but to impart the prophetic gifting to other people. And so that's what led us to uh, study a few of the prophetic books, and we're going to start with the book of Joel. I also just want to uh, say thank you to Pastor Wayne and Ann as they are traveling on behalf of the ministry. And let's keep Pastor Vaco and Ula in mind. They had to take a, um, an unplanned visit to Finland uh, to care for their parents, okay? So we want to keep them in prayer today as well. So let's start this new series together, The Road Ahead. So you might say, well, where are we heading? Well, certainly the times we are entering, they will demand that we hear from the Lord much more closely and clearly than ever before. 
Can I get an amen to that? Where we're headed, guys, the road we're headed on is going to demand that not only do we know the word of God, and not only do we walk in the fruit of the Spirit and in his power, but it's also going to demand that we listen to the voice of God in his unique ways that he's going to lead us, because we've never been this way before. Now, you might say, well, well, doesn't Solomon say there's nothing new under the sun? Well, he does say that, but that doesn't mean you've been there before. He's been there before, but it doesn't mean you have. And so we all always want to be in a place of humility before the Lord. And so the times ahead of us, even the times we're in now, I think they demand that we learn to listen to the Lord more closely and clearly, and we really need the prophetic voice to be free to speak in the congregation of the new covenant age. You see the rise of darkness in the world, that's easy to see. Rumors of war, come on. Have there not been rumors of war this week? Right, what about Russia and Ukraine and all of that's going on there? Who knows what's about to happen? Certainly rumors of war. The rise of anti-Semitism. You wanna know why Israel is gonna jump from nine million people to 12 million people in the next 15 years? Our infrastructure is not ready for that. It's not even ready for the nine million we have. Why is it gonna jump? Because of anti-Semitism is growing again in the world. You know, after World War II, it, the Spirit of God was able to put it back a little bit, but now the enemy's tactics are making it rise again. How about technology? It's moving faster, changing faster than you can ever imagine, and yet it's not just the technology because there's nothing wrong with the technology. It's the perversion of the technology, right? It's happening more than ever before. It used to be that you had to try to go get evil. Not now. Evil is aggressively hunting you down now, no matter what you're doing. You think you're innocently checking an email. No, evil will try to find you. You think you're watching a show? No, it will find you. There will be an agenda of the demonic that will try to find you, no matter what it is you're trying to do in technology. That's because of the age that we're living in today. We're seeing the rise of the control of governments we're seeing, we're seeing people start to kick back on that now. We're going to, over the next couple of months, we're going to see what happens. We're going to just kind of observe and pray and wait and listen to the Lord. But things are happening in the world today. And, and when this happens, we know that the love of many will grow cold. And that's not a good thing, but it is a sign of the times. As a matter of fact, speaking of a time just before he returns, Yeshua says this to the disciples, Matthew Chapter 24, verse 3. As Yeshua was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Yeshua answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end of the age is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by the nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end 
will be saved. You take that for what it's worth. There's a lot of tough times ahead. And notice it, 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 there's a call to the new covenant believer to stand firm and to persevere through all of this. Notice it doesn't say, hey, tough times are coming, but you won't have to worry about it. There were actually instructions telling us what to do through the times that are difficult, to stand firm and to persevere. And I've been troubled by this idea that the love of many will grow cold. It actually says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Not just the love of many, the love of most. I was saddened on our recent trip um, this particular time, you know, in December, I went to Europe to visit all of our campuses and locations and partners. And then recently, this past week, I was in the United States. I bring you greetings from Carl and Vicky Kush, who run Migdal Oz, which is connected to King of Kings officially out of the state of Texas and the discipleship training school there, along with uh, guest speaking and, and doing uh, seminars and, and, and touching base with our partners but as I traveled throughout the United States, I was troubled. I was troubled that even though over there, they have not had regulations for almost a year and a half. They haven't had really anything to block them. They haven't really had anything to navigate around other than stigmatism of whatever. Most pastors are still reporting 50% of the congregation has come back. But there's nothing holding them back. There's no reason for them to not be there. I mean, maybe you have some that are in a health situation. Okay, of course, that would be natural and normal to play it cautiously. But for the majority of the congregation with no rules and no regulations and, and you get past some of the emergent medical needs, where are all of the people? This is nationwide. This was also in Europe when I was there. They were saying, we're not sure when the people are coming back. If we just hold on a little longer, or if we just change the program, or if we just do it up a little bit differently. But, and then finally, I heard a pastor say this at dinner. He said, he said Pastor Chad, I, I don't think they're coming back. We have to start thinking of this as, this is us. We just went through a battle, and unfortunately, we lost some. Because as the end of the age approaches, and as wickedness rises, the love of most will, will grow cold. I know it's not great news, but what it does is it sets the stage for the Holy Spirit to come in a brand new and powerful way. It sets the stage for the great harvest at the end of the age before Yeshua's return. All of this has to happen so he can come back, which is the whole point. It's my whole point. It's why I give so much energy to build the kingdom of God and to share the good news is I want him to come back. And I know that we have to get through some of these, these tough points until we arrive there. But in these most difficult hours, we need to hear the voice of the Lord more strongly than ever before. While this soon coming time period might at first sound discouraging and concerning, God will not leave us unprepared, amen? Let me give you the key phrase of tonight. In troubling times, God will not leave us unprepared, but we must also exhibit perseverance. That's what Matthew 24 said. That's what Yeshua said. Those who stand firm and persevere through all of these things. That's what 
the call is for. That's what we're called to do. So it does take an exhibition of perseverance. Now, as we get into the study of the book of Joel, his most famous paragraph is good news. God speaks through the prophet Joel to encourage us that his spirit is going to be poured out in a major way, in a new and a fresh way during the most difficult times. So here's what you can expect. As darkness rises, as anti-Semitism rises, as governments try to control the world in new and inventive ways, as perversion takes over the world and every thought and intent of man's heart is evil all of the time and, and evil is no longer something you pursue, it's something that's pursuing you. All of that's happening today. But as that goes on, God promises us an outpouring of his spirit, something new, something fresh, something we have not experienced before, that his giftings and his callings and his power of the Holy Spirit will flow through us more brightly than ever before and more strongly than we've ever experienced. Are you excited for that time period? I'm kind of tired, if I can just be honest. Can I just be really raw and honest for a second? I'm a little bit tired of the phase we were in where we really did congregation and church life really well. You know why? Because I wasn't that impressed with it. I'm glad we do it well because we seek to do everything well because the king is worthy of excellence. But I'm tired of the time period where that's all we do. And I'm ready for the time period where God gives us a fresh taste of his spirit again. Like he's always wanted to do. It's not him, it's us. And he pours out on us in power like the apostles got to live in. Who wants to live in the apostle type power? That's the, that's the time period I'm ready for. But to get that, you have to take the other. And the other is some trying times. But God will not leave us unprepared. This is what Joel says in chapter 2, verse 28 to 31. He says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that's good news. Everybody gets it, right? My spirit's gonna be poured out on all people. Your sons are gonna get it. Amen. My son is gonna be bar mitzvah next week. Very exciting. If anybody wants to join us, five o'clock Saturday in the Celebration Center, come. If you've never tasted of a, a Messianic bar mitzvah, come and enjoy. I hope my son gets this outpouring. And my daughters, I have three of them. Your old men will dream dreams. I do that. That's how you know you crossed over, folks. You were a young man because you used to see visions. But now when you're dreaming dreams, you're old. That's the sign you were looking for. There are other signs. When you get out of bed in the morning and there's a lot of noises, that's a sign. You've crossed over. Can't eat what you used to eat, that's a sign. Some of us do it anyway, but we know the sign. 
Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. The servants get it. Men get it. Women get it. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. But really where I want to focus your attention is to the very first section. It says, and afterwards. You see, there's a bunch of good news coming, but it, afterwards, then good news. So part of what we're going to study in this series is that word afterwards. Because I need to find out what came beforewards. And then we got to the afterwards. I just made up that word, by the way, beforewards. Feel free to use it. I give it to you freely. So what must come before the outpouring? This is what we want to answer on the journey of the study of the book of Joel. So if you're in the book of Joel with me, turn to the very first chapter, very first verse, and we're going to read together. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, or in Hebrew you would say Yoel, it means Jehovah is God. Son of Pethuel, or in Hebrew, Pethuel, the vision of God. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. And you say, Pastor, I didn't get a lot out of that first section. Oh, you will. There is a lot going on there that we're about to dive into tonight. First of all, we don't know a whole lot about Yoel or Joel. We really also don't know a lot about his father. But what we do see is that the prophecy is addressed to the elders, which should catch our eye a little bit because normally when a prophet speaks, the first thing he does is he tells us who the king is, right? Joel doesn't do that. He doesn't even tell us who the king is, not here and not anywhere. And that caught my eye. He says to the elders, there's no mention of a king, there's no, there's no mention of a king in Israel or who used to be king or who's about to be king. There's no mention of king at all which is really unusual for the prophetic books. As a matter of fact, let me read you a section from a commentary that also focused in on this, this particular unique characteristic of Joel. It had to do with how do you date Joel? When was Joel written? And this is part of the clue. It says, during the writing of the book of Joel, this remains one of the most difficult tasks to date it of the Old Testament scholars, because unlike most prophetic writers, Joel gives no explicit indication of his time period. In particular, Joel refrained from mentioning the current ruling kings. One of the most compelling arguments for dating the book of Joel explains that he omitted the kings on purpose by suggesting that the prophecy occurred in the aftermath of Judah's only ruling queen. Did you know Israel had a ruling queen? Ah, we're going to teach you a little history tonight. Anybody like family trees? Raise your hand if you like family trees. All right, so those of you that like family trees, you're going to enjoy this. Everyone else, 
Just hang in there a little while. Remember, those who persevere to the end. No. Stand firm. We'll get there. I thought that was interesting that they picked up on the same thing that I saw, that a king wasn't mentioned. Perhaps Joel is written in the time period when there was the only ruling queen. So I want to research this a little bit with you tonight because Joel also makes mention several times of the priests, the temple rituals, the nations around Israel, like Phoenicia, Philistia, Egypt, and Edom. And all of these kingdoms were very prominent and they were lively kingdoms during the 9th century BC, which is why if you put those two together, the nations who were who were really healthy and thriving, along with the time period where we only had our only queen, we finally get the date of Joel. It was around 835 BC, if you're writing that down. 835 BC. What's interesting about 835 BC and those two historical time markers is that makes Joel a contemporary friend and prophet of Elisha. He's prophesying along with Elisha. You see, to me, this is exciting stuff because I love context. I love the background history of what's going on. I don't like to just jump into stories without understanding what's happening. And I certainly don't want to try to interpret prophetic books without understanding what's going on in the story because that takes us on weird theological rabbit trails. But I think if we understand the story in the backdrop, then when we listen to what Joel has to say from the Spirit of God, we'll understand a little bit more about how it applies not only to the the day of the writing, but how it can apply to us today. So he's a contemporary of Elisha. Now, you might say, well, how come we don't hear more about Joel and we hear so much about Elisha? Probably because Elisha is Elisha. He's He's the main guy. He's the head honcho prophet, right? He was the student of Elijah. Remember, Elisha got the double portion anointing. Remember that whole story? That Elijah did seven miracles and then he prophesied that Elisha would have a double portion and then Elisha only did 13. And if you're good at math, you realize that 13 is not double seven. We need 14. And so when Elisha died and he was buried and they put him in the tomb, then the tomb where he was put, the other people came back to life and that became his 14th miracle. Don't ever try to predict how God's gonna do that. Come on, I talked to somebody about it today. I'm not going to tell you who. Somebody in the congregation, we talked about this today. Don't try to predict the way God is going to do it. Just believe that he's going to do it. Abraham will tell you that. Elisha will tell you that. King David will tell you that. Joshua, let's keep walking around those walls. What's he going to do? I do not know. He's going to do it. I just don't know what he's going to do. Same thing here with Elisha. So that's probably why Joel doesn't get a lot of airtime because you have the big man on campus, Elisha, kind of directing the prophetic word over Israel at the time. But this is an important word enough that Joel gets in, right? And I think it was such a good word that we needed. But let's go back to this idea of what's going on in Israel and why is there no king? Well, first of all, after Saul, you know, the Bible says that God stripped the kingdom away from Saul. He gave it to King David. If you're new to the Bible, you need to go back and read the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. You'll catch up with me. If you feel like I'm going a little ahead of you, 
Probably am if you're new. That's okay. Feel free to write me an email. I'll answer any questions you have. If you've been with the Lord and you've read the scriptures before, then you understand some of these references. The kingdom is taken from Saul, given to David. Then from David, it goes to Solomon. After Solomon, you have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and they don't get along very well, and the kingdom splits. You have northern Israel and southern Judah. It's still all part of one big family tribal conglomeration, but they don't like each other, and so they split. The northern tribes of Israel, they make a separate temple. They're not supposed to do that. They get in a lot of trouble for doing that because God said only the temple could be in Jerusalem. That was the ordination of God. But from those two split families, you have other people that I want to talk you through. So before I get to the story, I need to tell you the players in the story. Are you ready for this? Okay, I'm going to give you a warning. Can I give you a little spoiler alert? I'm going to go through a list of names. Half of these names are going to sound like the same person. I'm just letting you know they're not. Okay, so go back, read it in the Bible later. You'll realize it just sounds like I'm saying the same name over and over, but I'm not. So we start off with the grandfather or great-grandfather Omri. He's the king of northern Israel. We also have a, a husband-wife tandem, Ahab and Jezebel, king and queen of northern Israel after Omri. They have a son named Joram, or some of your Bibles say Jehoram, and uh, that's one of the sons of Ahab and Jezebel. They have a daughter named Athaliah as well. So that's sister of Joram. So Joram later becomes king of northern Israel. At the same time, in southern Judah, we have a king named Jehoram. Yes, it is the exact same name. Two kings ruling. That must have been fun. Right after the time period where they had Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they have Jehoram and Jehoram. The other nations probably looked at us and like, what is wrong with these Israelites? <laughs> Shake it up, guys. Pick some different names. So he's the king of Judah. He's the son of Jehoshaphat, if you've ever heard of that king. But Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, she's the sister of the first Jehoram, northern Israel. She leaves her family and she marries Jehoram of southern Judah, the king of Judah. So she has a brother named Jehoram and a husband named Jehoram. And they do this for a political alliance so that there won't be fighting in Israel anymore. This is a political marriage, you have to understand. So that introduces who Athaliah is. So she's the daughter of the northern kings, but she's married to the southern king. They have a son named Mahaziah. This is Athaliah's son. He later becomes the king of Judah after his father. Also, there is a Jehoshaphat. This is a woman. She's the daughter of King Jehoram of Judah. So it's the half-sister of Ahaziah. I know, I'm confusing you. Hang in there. It all starts to make sense in just a second. Then there's Jehoiada. I, I promise you, these are different names. Jehoiada is the priest, but he's also the husband of Jehoshaphat, who is the half-sister right, of Ahaziah. They have a son later from the kingly line, and that son's name is Joash. Joash is now the grandson of Athaliah and Jehoram, the king in southern Judah. And so the story gets a little complicated at this point. Do we have that family tree? Okay, good. 
So if you're on the, the Israel northern side, you have Omri, Jezebel. So you see the three children, Ahaziah, Jehoram, and Athaliah. And then Athaliah, she isn't orange anymore. She turns green. She goes into Judah's side, and she marries King Jehoram. She has three children, Ahaziah, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat is married to Jehoiada. He's a priest. And then finally, they have Joash. So here's the story. Ready? I just had to tell you all the players. If you think you've ever had family drama, this is probably going to top your family drama. Are you ready for this? So all of the orange people, bad. Just a quick summary, bad. Didn't follow the Lord, didn't follow his ways, worshiped idols, wood stone, Baal, and all of that. So the Lord is going to send judgment. And on that house, he sends a man named Jehu. You're like, well, is he even on the board? No, but Jehu was born in the green side from Jehoshaphat. So he's brother of southern Judah, green Jehoram. He's brother-in-law to Athaliah. There's going to be a reason I keep coming back to that, that lady's name, Athaliah. It's because God sent Jehu to judge them. And Jehu starts to go through the northern Israel camp. And as the Lord leads him, he is putting to death some of the wicked kings over time. But as he's doing that, Athaliah hears that her son Ahaziah is no longer king because Jehu has killed him. So she gets mad, but she also sees a power vacuum. So while Jehu is wiping out one side, Athaliah is wiping out the other side. And she goes through and kills all the royal family that's left. At the same time, there's a foreign king named Haziel, and he's invading and he's killing royal family members. So you have three different people killing royal family members, and there's a vacuum, there's a void of leadership at that moment, and Athaliah takes the seat. And for six years, she becomes the queen over Israel. It's the only ruling queen. That's when Joel is written. Do you understand? That's important to know. It's important to know all of the drama that's going on. It's important to know the judgments of God and why those judgments are happening because we don't get to chapter two, verse 28, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on all people. We don't start there. We end up there later, but we start right here in a time of great corruption when you can't trust government. Sound familiar? There's going to be some applicable points as we study what Joel is talking about. So what ends up happening is Athaliah is wiping out the royal family. Jehu is obeying the Lord, wiping out the evil parts of the other royal family. And Athaliah thinks she's wiped out everyone that could take her throne. The problem is Jehoshaphat, one of her daughters, when they have Joash, she finds him as an infant and hides him. God is really good at hiding those infants when he wants to. Right? Think of Moses. We think of Yeshua himself. But Joash is one of the ones. And the, and the, one that, the person that actually hid him was Jehoiada, the priest. For six years, can you imagine this? 
Jehoiada hid the baby inside the temple, and Athaliah, the wicked queen who took the throne, never knew about it, showing you how often she went to the temple. And on, on, the, on the baby's, baby Joash's seventh birthday, Jehoiada gathers all the priests, all of the temple guards, and all of the guards faithful to the Lord, and he lays out a plan that they are now going to announce there's a new king in Israel. Can you imagine this? This, what a family drama. And so Jehoiada, the priest, does it. They blow the trumpets, and when Athali is not sitting on the throne, they put the little child on the throne. And she says, I hear trumpets, but it's the trumpet blast of the king. And there is no king, because I'm the queen, and I'm not there. So she gets her little party, and they run over, and they realize we're in trouble. We took the throne that wasn't ours. Joash is actually in the royal line. It's his throne. And yes, he's seven years old. You ever wonder how wicked a government can get when the people would prefer a seven-year-old over your rule? That's how wicked Israel had become. It's in this story that Joel is prophesying. As a matter of fact, it says, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 17, Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Jehu goes throughout the kingdom, killing the royal family. He even is uh, part of the killing of Jezebel. You might remember that name as well. 2 Kings 11, it says, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, because Jehu killed him, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, the sister of Ahaziah, this is her stepdaughter now, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah, so he was not killed. He remained hidden with the nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. And that's how you know the time period of Joel. No king, because it was during Athaliah's rule and Elisha's prophetic ministry. 2 Kings chapter 10, 32, it says, In those days the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Haziel overpowered the Israelites throughout their territory. So now with the full background underneath us, we can then understand the word of judgment that is coming. It says, never has this happened before, never will it happen again. Tell it to your children and to their children. So what is the judgment? Joel chapter one, verse four through six. What the locust swarm has left, the great locust has eaten. What the great locust has left, the young locust has eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine. For it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. Remember what the other scripture said. Whoever Elisha doesn't kill, Jehu will. And whoever Jehu doesn't kill, Ahaziel will. And whoever Ahaziel doesn't kill, Athaliah will kill. And now you understand the locusts. 
if one doesn't kill him, the other one will kill him. And if that one doesn't kill him, there's another one coming. And then there's another one coming. And you all of a sudden, you start to see the word of judgment is being released over Israel because of their unfaithfulness. It's coming from within. And if anybody escapes, it's also coming from without. God is going to clean up his house. We don't get a chance to arrive at Joel chapter 2 with the outpouring of his spirit until God deals with his house first. Friends, you better hear me. King of kings, you better listen. If we want to be part of the last great outpouring age and be part of Joel in our day, then we first have to embrace that God is going to deal with his family first. That means he's going to get our family, he's going to get our heart right, individually, our heart then he's going to get our family unit right. Then he's going to get our small group right. Then he's going to get our congregation right. Then he's going to get the other congregations right. It's going to start in his house first. Because what he wants to do, he cannot do with corruption in his house. And so we don't arrive at my spirit is poured out until we go through the fires of the cleansing of the house of God. And that's what's happening here at the very beginning of Joel. What will it take for Israel and Judah to turn away from their idols and to serve the Lord? How many corrupt kings? How many false prophets will there be? How many false temples and false sacrifices will there be? How many idols will be put in front of the people, distracting them from the real worship they should be doing of God Almighty? How many distractions will be put in front of them? And at some point, God says, that's enough. I gave you all of the chances, but you're not listening. So now the locusts are coming. Now that, that locust imagery, of course, is symbolic of all of the judgment. And the locust is also reminding us of the locust swarm in Egypt. It comes in and it wipes out the whole landside. Because you know, when we sin, friends, it's not just an individual who sins. It doesn't just impact you, it impacts everyone around you. And it doesn't just impact you spiritually and mentally and emotionally, it actually impacts you physically. That's what sin does. It's a decaying element in our life and it touches even the physical world. When Adam and Eve sinned, the physical world was touched. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. And the same thing is happening to Israel here. We end tonight with Joel's instructions. Joel chapter one, verse 13 through 15. Worship team, you can make your way forward. He doesn't just leave us with bad news and this backdrop of great corruption in Israel and this locust will kill it and if they don't kill it, then another locust will kill it and it's just all bad news and no one will survive. No, that's not what he leaves us with by the time we get to the end of chapter one. He gives us the prescription and it's the same prescription for today. He says, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord, Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. 
So we know what to do. We have to get our life straight first, our family life straight first, our congregational life straight first, because the judgment is going to start in the house of God first. We know that. And the outpouring doesn't come until after. Remember, it said in afterwards, I will pour out my spirit. After the house is cleansed, after God's family is put back into right order, the prescription is humility, it's prayer, it's fasting, it's sackcloth. It's sitting before the Lord, listening to his voice because we've never been this way before. The world has never been this corrupt in our generation before. And somehow we have to navigate through it. And he closes that verse by saying, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. And in the Hebrew, that seems to refer to the same thing Yeshua was referring to when he talked about the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So it has what we, what we call dual prophetic meaning. And if you've never heard of that terminology, we're going to use it over the next couple of weeks. I just want you to have it in your mind. A dual prophetic meaning or a dual prophecy, it means that when the prophet writing writes his prophecy and it comes true in his day, sometimes it can also come true later. It comes true twice. Once in his day, according to his context, and once later down the road. And I believe that's what Joel is telling us here when he talks about the great and dreadful day of the Lord using Yeshua's language. Because he's really talking about the judgment of his day, but he's also talking about the judgment of the world. And before the outpouring of the Lord, we, the house of God, have to get ourselves straight. That means do it his way. One of the reasons I, I felt a little sad when I was traveling wasn't only because I realized many were missing from the family and most, the love of most was growing cold. But I was also noticing that sometimes the body of Messiah is hard to recognize because it really doesn't look like the way Yeshua left it, right? You know what I'm talking about. And we're certainly not perfect here at King of Kings. We're trying to work on it every day. And you say, well, what, what does the kingdom of God need to look like? What does the congregation need to look like at the end of this age? It needs to look like the way Yeshua left it, which was we are aggressively preaching the gospel. We are intentionally making disciples and we are constantly teaching the truth regardless of the consequences of that. It means we love our neighbor more than ourselves. We never forsake gathering together, not in big groups or in small groups. We never try to make decisions without the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we have to be open and sensitive to the power of God working through our bodies in the miraculous. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, dreams and visions healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. All of these things should be happening. And when they're not happening, we shouldn't be satisfied. It's a time of going before the Lord and introspection and saying, Lord, what is it that we need to be doing in these last days? How can our house be in order? We want to receive that outpouring, but we know it's an afterwards kind of an outpouring.
So what has to come before? The house of God is put back into order. Hallelujah. Can I pray for you? Would you mind standing? I just want to pray a prayer of impartation and blessing over you. Please stand. We're going to go back into worship after this prayer so that you can just let that soak into your spirit for a few minutes. I always love to do that at the end of the word. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what you needed to hear. Sometimes it's different than what I actually said, but it's what you needed to hear. Let's receive this from the Lord. Father, we love your word today. We trust you. We trust your timing. We trust your process. We know we're not perfect. We're, we're a community of imperfect people, all on a journey. But what we want to do today is yield to you even more, that we might decrease, that you can increase in our life. That we are entering an age where we need to hear the prophetic voice of God now more than ever before. Jehu was able to hear it. Joel was able to hear it. Elisha was able to hear it in their wicked day. Father, help us to hear it in our day. And then give us the courage to respond. Help us to build the body life the way you intended, the way it looks like in the book of Acts, in the Gospels. If we've gotten off path, God, humbly we, we, are, we are willing to write that direction. If we've treated others wrongly, bring it to our attention that we might reconcile. If our theology has gotten strange and off the ancient path, God, correct us today. We remember that life is not about us. We are not the center. And whatever they did to Yeshua, they're going to do to us. So give us the courage for this walk, this journey. It's concerning. Yes, it is. The Holy Spirit, this is the age when you do amazing things. And we are looking forward to being part of that. Pour your spirit out on us because we want to be your vessels. We really do, God. And let us grow in these giftings that we're, maybe we don't get to see so often. We just want you to know, God, as a public proclamation, we are open to your gifts. We are open to them, God. We are open to the supernatural. We were never meant to preach the gospel without the supernatural signs and wonders going in front of us. Somehow we've forgotten that. Thank you for the reminder today in Yeshua's name. Amen.